0: Rayburn was, as Constance's mother said the first time she saw it, and would say again every time it was mentioned, a beautiful school in the heart of the country. Yet for the girls who boarded there, the school was embodied above all in the massive Easter Island presence of the headmistress, the Honourable Mrs. Henrietta Birmingham. In the minds of parents, the school, like a group photograph, evoked the 120 girls who attended it, in particular their own tidily uniformed daughter. For its dozen teachers, the school represented pupils at desks in classrooms, lessons to be prepared, books to be marked, and staff room rivalries. For the matrons, the school existed in terms of creased counterpanes and feverish girls. To the domestic staff, it was little more than a steamy, clanging kitchen, and acres of floor to be polished, while to the gardener and his boy it meant grass needing to be mowed and rolled. The main school building was a long three-storied mock Tudor country house with sixteen bedrooms and a servant's attic. It had been built in the 1890s for one of that extinct tribe of hostesses whose lives revolved around the rituals of weekend house parties at which they manipulated their powerful, pleasure-loving men. The outward appearance of the house had hardly changed in six decades. In later years, when girls, now grown women, thought of their old school, they saw it more vividly than the distant childhood world of home, Their dreams continued to be set in its undulating landscape long after their school days were over, while in nightmares they would find themselves still hemmed in by school rules, walking, not running, in stiff-legged panic along narrow corridors, and would wake up relieved to find that they were adults after all. Whether or not they had been happy at Rayburn, they usually remembered it in high summer, they would hear the bell's insistent double beat and see the building with its many chimneys rising high over the serene Sussex countryside, its sloping green lawns dotted with girls in summer frocks. But all this was obscured in February. It was bitterly cold, the great bulk of the school ploughing like an ocean liner through sheets of freezing rain. Rain lashed the bare trees beside the drive into dripping, creaking life. "'as Constance King and her parents bumped along the uneven surface "'on the way to their first meeting with the headmistress. "'Constance peered through the car's steamed-up windows "'at girls in ankle-length hooded cloaks buffeted by wind "'as they stumbled with bent heads between classrooms. "'They looked sinister and faceless. "'Which are those monks who wear long brown cloaks?' she asked. "'I'm not sure, darling.' her mother began, but her father interrupted. "'Don't be such a twerp, Constance,' he said irritably, "'and comb your hair. Try to make a good impression.' "'The Rock School's not making a very good impression on me,' she thought mutinously. "'I'd much rather go to Wimbledon High.' She doubted if she'd be given the choice.' There were seven weeks left until the end of term, but as her parents were being posted to Kenya in May, it was a matter of urgency to find her a suitable boarding school. Her father parked the car carefully and reached down for his colonial office briefcase. Mrs. King patted her hair, took out a gold compact, and pursed her mouth while she dotted lipstick onto it. Then she smiled encouragingly at Constance. "'Isn't this exciting?' she said. Her father cracked open a black umbrella, and the three of them dashed into the shelter of the porch.